feels. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Thank you to the musicians and thank you for your patience with my nerves. Um, if we can turn, we'll take a look at Hebrews 2 and 1 Corinthians 15. And we were away on a little vacation in the east and it was good to be away and it's good to be back. And we had a chance to go to brother, watch Brother Ed at a, Brother Kelly's church. And it was like, I was thinking about it, it's kind of like going to another city to watch the home team and cheer for them. And it was good. Brother Ed preached crossing borders unseen, and it was very good. Oh, that we have, and I believe it's coming, the faith to cross the borders, to take that jump like that little bird, no matter what happens next, and to trust that there'll be the wind there. Amen. Amen. If we could turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. We'll see if we can get the butterflies going in the same direction. You pray for me and you pull and I'll trust the Lord. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 and it says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all thing, are all things and by whom are all things. It reminds us of Christ is the mystery. Colossians 2, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my, unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There's one enemy of all men, no matter how big or how small you are, and that's death. 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll go to verse 55, and then we'll go backwards to verse 26 after. Simple scripture, O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is your victory? And verse 26 says this, the final enemy that shall be destroyed is death. God bless you. You can have your seats. My title tonight is The Moment When Death Dies. What a moment that will be. Amen. The moment that death dies. And man has been an achiever. Man is a great achiever. Man has achieved many great things. Man is, they've, they, man is we look back at the, at the caveman days and what man would look back to see the caveman and they would imagine a view of an ugly old caveman. Think about a caveman for a second and how he would say, mm, me trying to find fire, right? That was the view of what the world would look back to say that they evolved. Yeah. And they looked back and they see a caveman and they see someone that tried to start fire and then tried to learn to talk and tried to do things. But soon they grew and grew. But we know it was a little different. We know it was Adam and Eve in the beginning. Adam and Eve in the beginning, and they were perfect humans. They had not just perfect in body, but they were perfect in every way. They didn't fight battles like us in our mind. 
They didn't fight sickness like us in our flesh. They didn't fight the devil quite like us, though it came. But they were perfect. They were free. They were flawless. And they were free from the curse of death. There was a promise that if they broke the word, there would be death. But they were free from death. One day the fall happened. And what did that feel like? They knew that there was a curse of sin. They knew that if you eat of that fruit of that tree, you'll die. But they couldn't have imagined what death meant. They couldn't have known what death was. They could only imagine it in their minds. They'd never seen anything die. Nothing had ever died. They couldn't know what it was. But one day, there was a woman that maybe didn't fully put an importance to the curse of that, didn't maybe fully put an importance to the word of God. And she fell, and Adam fell, and for the first time, they didn't die that day, but maybe they saw a flower die that day. And it set into place to say, what is that? Something died. I've never seen a beautiful flower like that die. And then that lion that was mighty and strong and that lived forever, that lion died. And then they started to realize, and what did that feel like to know that one day I'll die? And it was my fault. And one day I'll die. And their bodies began to break down. And their minds began to have anxiety for the first time. And they're, they're everything that had changed, there was something wrong. There was something that hadn't been the way it used to be. And it didn't feel right. There was something that didn't feel complete. It didn't feel perfect. And it didn't feel like there was a satisfaction to it. And we know after the fall that men would be great achievers. They would, they would make music. And you imagine that thought of that, that man that thought, oh, I could, I could make a sound. Maybe he rung a little glass and he heard a tone. And then he made another tone. And he began to make instruments. And, and, and someone began to sing. And what was the thought and the feeling of the first time you heard someone sing beautifully? What was that like? Or what was the feeling of that first instrument that was played or the first band that was played? Man began to achieve and they made cities. What was, the, what, was the, what was the feeling of the first caveman, you could say, of that day that came over the hill and saw his first city that someone had made? What was the feeling to be the mayor of that city that built it and had the mind to build it and had the mind to build a society? How did he feel? There was something that he had achieved, and yet he struggled with his anxiety, and he struggled with his imperfection, and he struggled with everything, and he died, no matter how great he was. Every step forward in civilization would have brought a great feeling. There would have been something attached to it that was special, that caught a moment, and there was something about it that would have felt so good. And I still don't know how the first fire was made or how Adam discovered that. But there's a great feeling with progress, but there's never a feeling that we can reach a perfection on this planet. In our soul, we'll find it, but only there. We'll feel something in our spirit, but the soul is the only place. I was talking to someone when I was away out east, and it was, they were talking about how perfection, if you could take a car, and think about this for a moment, it struck me. If you have that car, someone that works on a car, or someone that works on any project, you'll never be satisfied in it, because there's always something to fix. There's always something that is a dent or a scratch. There's always something mechanically wrong, and as soon as you get it close to perfect, technology changed, and you, you're behind already. Sister Terry loves guitars. There's never a perfect guitar. I don't know where Sister Terry... There's never a perfect one. You look, you compare, you search. You'll never find it. 
because we're not on a perfect planet. But the person I was talking to said, if you could find a perfect car, you'd be satisfied in it. You'd never be bored of it. There'd be nothing to compare it to. There'd be nothing else but that. If you had a perfect guitar, there'd be nothing else but that. You wouldn't think about anything else because it was perfect. You wouldn't think about working on it because there would be nothing to do. And you wouldn't get bored of it because you'd be satisfied in it. What about a place of perfection? I want to know what it's like. When we're young, we want to know what it's like when we're older. If you're a young child, you want to know what it's like to be an adult, to be able to have the cell phone you want, to be able to stay out as late as you want, to be able to do all the things you want to be able to do. When you're a young person, you want to have that perfect job, or you want to have the family, or you want to have this or that. You want to know what it feels like. You want to be able to push forward. When you're middle-aged, you realize there's a lot of stress and troubles, and I'm not speaking from experience, but you're looking for retirement. You want to know what that feels like, right? Amen. I want to know what it feels like. But you're looking for what the feeling is. And you think when you get to that next spot, when you get around the next bend, then you'll feel satisfaction. And I believe as Christians, we're growing up to know that that's not true. But we still get in the flesh. And we're still looking and pressing for next week there's going to be that thing. Or next week or next year or next month or when I get this amount of money or when I get my family at this spot. We're looking forward to something, a feeling, a thirst. Every human was born with a thirst. Every Brother Branham would preach a beautiful message called thirst. And the conclusion of it is there's no thirst satisfaction but in God. The Olympics just happened. There's men and women that have set world records. There's men and women that set and were the best in the world. They were young 20-somethings, maybe some 30-somethings, maybe some older. And they reached the pinnacle. And what would it feel like to stand on that stage and have the whole world watch while you took a gold medal? And you'd worked all your life. You worked a few years. You worked maybe all your life, depending on the sport, to be the best in the world. And you did it. And then they'll suffer from depression after. Because there was nothing left after that. You reached the mountain. And then you had to come down. And on this planet... That's it. And then you die. To be blunt. Every great man that rised up had to face death. It wouldn't matter who it was. Every great man, every pharaoh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Hitler, Stalin, the great sports stars. There was Kobe Bryant that passed away at the beginning of last year. All the great people that we might put in our minds have faced death. It doesn't matter who you are and what you do. Our situation on this planet never reaches perfection because we're stuck in a body that's dying. Brother Brandon would say, in the power of transformation, and see, talking of the other side, we, see, we find everything in perfect order, or I believe at the beginning, Eden. God spoke it and he said, let there be, let there be, and let there be an Eden. Let there be beautiful flowers. Let there be my son in my own image. And I'm holding back a comment about a flower. Standing over there in the Garden of Eden and let his bride stand by his side. Oh, how beautiful that was. And the father, he's our father. You see, there was come his own children coming forth and he made a paradise for him. God loves to do things for his children. Now, don't you remember, mothers, no matter how, if you had 
to allowance the table. If Junior needed a good pair of shoes that he liked, you'd do it. See, whatever it was, you'd do something for your children. You'd work a little harder. Well, that just shows that we are way down here as a parent. He is the extreme parent. And see how much more. No wonder the apostle said, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has for them in store that love him. We can't conceive it in our minds. We, in our mind, isn't eligible the thinking right, the right direction of what God has in store for us that love it. My mind is not capable of thinking how great it is. It's beyond that. Could you imagine what heaven will be when we'll all be there and young and no sin? And no, and what a beautiful place, but see, it's beyond that. It can't even enter into our heart. So there's something beyond. There's some place that we're going. We know that man is not meant to be a slave. Man is not meant to be bound. We're not meant to be held back. This feeling of being held back that we have, even in our mind, in our anxieties, in our flesh, in the sickness of the flesh, in the struggle of life, it holds us back and it's not meant to be there. It's not what's supposed to be. And we look back to when there were, Brother Branham would say, God made man and man made slaves. And it's wrong, is my words on that. That's not right. Brother Branham would talk about the slave trade and, and the, the, the proclamation of, emancipation of proclamation, I believe from Abraham Lincoln. There was a proclamation, emancipation of the proclamation that was signed. And the slaves was going to be free on a certain day. We're not meant to be bound as Christians. No matter the sin, no matter the struggle, no matter anything, your enemy is dead. You don't know, and the slaves was going to be free upon a certain day. You don't know, oh, if you've never met Christ, you never know what that meant to them, slaves. When it went, the message throughout the land that you're going to be free on such and such a day at daylight, you're going to be free. You're not going to have to wear slave belt anymore. Neither will you have any more whippings. You're free. And you're a citizen of this great United States. You're not no more a slave after daylight on certain, certain morning. Oh, with great anticipation they waited. If the sinner could only see that. If the sinner would only hear the true gospel, the joining of a church, but the preaching of the gospel, that you can be free from sin, that you can be free from your sickness at a certain, certain time. Brother Max preached an amazing message called, Your Enemy is Dead. And he began to look at when we accept Christ and when we're born again, the enemy that we have, which is ourself, dies. It dies. Brother Branham would talk about how at the, on the wings of a snow light dove, even in his mortal body, that thing that had held him back for so long, it died. It was his enemy and it died. But he was stuck in mortal flesh. But when we're saved, when we accept the new birth, when you're buried in baptism later tonight... There's something that happens in you when you lay down yourself and take in Christ. You rise anew. And your enemy, though you have to crucify him daily, is dead. But I want to say it's not perfectly satisfying yet. Because who's perfectly satisfied even though you're dead? And even though your enemy is dead? 
You know, those slaves were so excited and under such anticipation, waiting for the hour that they would be free until they tell me that they gathered at the bottom of a hill. Mothers and little children all gathered and some of the old and they climbed up to the top of the hill around midnight. They'd known when the day broke and the sun come up that they would be free. And it wouldn't take them over one half of a minute, the sun to shine over the top of the hill, but some of them was up on the top of the hill saying, oh, the sun rises, we are free. What did it feel like? You know those slaves were, and, but when the S-O-N rises, one of those days, he says, one of these days, and when the sun, the S-O-N rose, some 1900 years ago, he broke every slave belt. He set every captive free. He healed every sickness. He gave freedom to those who are in bondage. Oh, how we ought to climb and watch. What would that feel like to be all your life a slave? We can't quite imagine physical slavery. But what would that feel like to hear your brother up on the top of the mountain who had the strength to climb up there and him to shout down and say, you're free? What would you do? What would you do? You'd dance. You'd run. You'd shout. The the, the slave owner that held you and whipped you and, and done all the things, you'd look at him sideways and you'd say, this is the man that tormented me. There'd be nothing that could hold you back from going to your freedom. He's done. His power over you is gone. I can think of a little slave girl named Miriam, the older sister of Moses. I believe she was about seven years old when Moses was born. And she was all of her life born and raised a slave. All of her life, all that she knew was slavery. And not only her, but her whole family was raised as slaves. Though she was in a good home, they were bound by something. She was a slave. Her family was a slave, and not just her, but her people was a slave. And they were slaves to the Egyptians, and I don't fully understand history, but I would say that not just the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were one of the greatest nations, or maybe the greatest nation of its time. So not only was the Egyptians the enemy of Israel, it was the enemy of the world, just like death. It was the enemy of everyone. But there was a chosen people that were the Israelites. Yeah. Now, the Israel, now, the Egyptians were powerful. They had the world maybe at their sway. They had the influence of the world. And they could turn things at the beck and call. And they could call a war and do different things. And they had the Israelites bound down as slaves. But there's always cracks in the system. They raised a deliverer inside. They raised someone from the inside up that rose up to the top and then was there. They fed it. They kept it. They kept it alive. And, and, and that system of slavery, the system of, system of captivity that kept the Israelites down now had a problem. There was a crack in the wall that they didn't know about. There was something that was going to break through that they didn't know about. And he left and he came back and the deliverer Moses came forth and delivered the people. I want to ask you a question. There was probably a long line at the Red Sea as they went through, two million people or whatever it would have been that first left is Egypt. They would have heard the Egyptians behind them coming in the, coming in the, in the valley. The Egyptians were crossing on dry land now too. They would have heard them. Two million people would have began to cross and Miriam began to step on a bank and see what was going on. She wasn't young. We imagine a young lady, Miriam, dancing. She was at least 87. And she had been all of her life a slave. 
all of her life bound by something, all of her life her family bound by something, and all of her life her nation bound by something. And the last ones begin to cross. And up at the front of the line, they could hear something. The waves are falling. The waves are falling and the Egyptians are drowning. They're dying right now. The thing that's held us bound is drowning in the sea. The most powerful army is going down right now. And Miriam began to take a timbrel. An 87-year-old woman began to dance and lead a whole country in dance to say, we're going. We're going free. There's nothing that can hold us back anymore. And she began to dance. What did it feel like? What would that feel like for you to watch all of your life? But there was a moment and your enemy was going down. There's no mercy anymore for the enemy. But you're free. And there was nothing that the enemy could do. And you could dance over your devil. You could dance in front of the enemy. They could be drowning. And you were standing there and you were free. Now death is the final enemy of the human race. The Bible says the final enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is the final enemy. Every pharaoh, every great man, every, every, every powerful person, every great lady has faced death. It's something that's just in front of you that you can't get around. You can't get under it. You can't get around it. There's nothing you can do. And great Christians have died. Abraham died. As great as he was, the father of the faith, he faced death. David, a man after God's own heart, Solomon, died. Paul died. Brother Branham died. And we know that they fell asleep. I understand that. We all know and were taught that they died a long time ago. They couldn't die. But they fell asleep and they faced that door of death. And there was nothing that they could do. There was nothing that they could turn around and change of that. But there was always an asterisk, no matter what it was. Just like in Egypt, there was cracks in the wall and they began to raise a deliverer. There was a crack in the wall of death. We can look at a man named Elijah. No matter what the curse said, and no matter what his mortal body said that he was dying, there was a man that took a chariot ride out of here. There was a man that saw a hole through the door of death. There was a man that saw a way around and jumped on a chariot, and he was gone. And death had nothing to say about it, because God took him home. There was a man named Enoch who walked so close to God, just like we're doing now, by faith, what we're doing now, and he walked so close to God, he built his pyramid, he did all that he did, but there was a day where he went around the wall of death. He found a hole. And it was speaking of something, because there was a man named Jesus who came down, and he saw a a wall right through it. It didn't matter what the wall was, he went right through it. He lived a perfect life, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again. And in fact, he did die. He did die. But then something happened, and there was a resurrection that took the stinger. Satan didn't know. He couldn't quite tell. But when he sunk his stinger in, something happened to the power of death. Death in our mortal body still holds us back, though. We have the anxieties. We're stuck as much as we're saved in our flesh. We've seen the greatest battle ever fought, the three rings written so many times. We know that our soul, when we're born again, 
That's eternal. A seed is quickened. And it comes to life. And there's perfect satisfaction there. When we come to church, when we live in anything, and when we are focused on the word of God, we can feel and we know that there's something. And at any time, Brother Branham was in his worst moment. That thing the size of a button held him. It's constant. It's eternal. There's nothing that the enemy can do to that. We are eternal and we can't die because we've died. But the spirit realm is a problem. And the flesh realm is a problem. Because I don't know about you, but I have my own battles. There's things that I do that I wish I wouldn't do. Romans 7 would say the things that I would do, I don't do. And the things that I want to do, I don't. And, and, and oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body? How many knows that battle? That's the fight we have. We don't feel like a Christian maybe most days during the week. Maybe most days. I don't know. Depends on how it might be for you. But we, we feel that presence of God. But there's something in us because we're stuck in a body that's subject to death. We're stuck in a body that's dying. We're stuck in a body that will die if time goes on long enough. Warren Buffett is the, the, one of the richest men in the world. He has all the money. He can do whatever he wants. And they were talking about how in his calendar there'd be times where there'd be blank pages. You'd think he'd be busy too if he's rich. The best, most successful people are. He said, I can't buy time. So I have free days, I do things with my family, whatever it would be. I can't, the one thing I can't buy is time, he said. The richest man, and he knows he'll have to face death. One of the richest men. Even as a Christian, there's a time elephant element to us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, I wonder if we could just take a quick look at two scriptures. The Bible says this, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied as much as I'm satisfied as a Christian. As much as I'm satisfied and will have nothing else, no other plan but to live this life and go to heaven, I'm not satisfied still here. My body does things I don't want it to do. My mind fights thoughts I don't want it to fight. There's a battle here that is not mine, it's the Lord's. But the battle is here and it's raging. If we could look at verse 2 for one second. We earnestly desire and we groan to be clothed upon something else. Brother Ed was preaching the, the, the groaning of the creation. That groaning from the other side to know that there's something perfect somewhere. There's something that doesn't fight somewhere. There's something that doesn't need improvement or fixing or it's always sick somewhere. If we can look at verse 3. If so be, be that we, if so be, if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed. We don't just want to die, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. There's something that we push for, that we groan for, that's just beyond. In Romans chapter 8, if we can look at verse 18, if we... 
I'm sorry, I'm moving fast, Sister Ruth. <laughs> For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, and we're suffering, that's what it is, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. You want to look at why climate change would be happening and why the world would be changing. Creation is groaning. The scientists are looking at a warming planet and, and wondering what to do and setting all of their targets. It was prophesied that creation would groan and that there'd be something wrong and the earth wouldn't be right. That another earthquake would hit. Let's pray for the believers in Haiti. That, another, that earthquakes would hit. That floods would happen. That there'd be turmoil. Because creation is groaning for something. Creation is groaning for a day. Creation is groaning for a day not too far away. That we're groaning for as well. For the creature was subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. For because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, the thing inside of us, that life that grows, even we ourselves, it's okay, we're groaning because there's something more. We ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of this body. For we are saved by hope. But what hope is that is seen, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So there's something more coming. There's something more coming. But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. So we're waiting with patience for something. In this life, there's no perfect satisfaction. We walk in Christ. And we can be filled with the Holy Ghost and free from sin and not be moving in the motions of sin. But tempted. And we don't want to be. We can be forgiven and reminded every day of what you did. Every day. We can be so well. Nothing, it seems like life, you get the car, you lose the job. You get the job, then the house, something happens. And then when all of that is set, something is in the family. And all, the person that has all of those things lined up, they're, they're, there's something else. There's anxiety. It's not perfect. I'm delivered, but Satan will tell me I want to go back. I don't, and I won't. But Satan will tell me I do. In fact, he'll tell you thoughts and make it sound like you thought it. He'll word the thought like you thought it. That's not you. If it's against the word, that's not you. That's just the devil. He'll give you a thought against your brother and sister. What he does is he has two humans in mortal flesh subject to death. He'll shoot one with a thought about the other and the other with a thought about one. And he'll watch. And he doesn't do anything. And we're stuck thinking about something. And we're stuck thinking, oh, did they think it? Or I, I just feel like this is not right. And watch your mortal flesh. Let's think from the spirit. Let's think and realize what that thought might be from. It's a devil just trying to... Brother Branham would say in the church age, or in, the, in Christ is the mystery, th that he'll try to get among us, but stick that much more close together. And he would say, say nice things about one another. Don't take sides with it. Walk with God, I'll say. 
Why can't I just live the way I want to, though? And I say this from my own self. Why can't I just live the way I want to? Why can't I just be and, and never ha- and always have peace and always be just what I want to be? I disappoint myself so much. In our mortal body, death still reigns. We long for moments in front of us. And spiritually, we can think, what will it feel like to be free of that thing that's held us back? We can think, what will it be? What will it be? But I have a question for you. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And I have a question for you. What will it feel like the moment that death dies? What will it feel like the moment that we step out of this body and everything that we want to do, everything that we fought with is gone, everything that we wanted was perfect peace, perfect satisfaction, perfect freedom, a perfect relationship with our brother or our sister, all of those things, what will it feel like when we have it? What will it be like the moment that death dies? What will it be like that moment? Now, death might be when we cross the other side. And let's think about it for a moment. We cross the other side. Sister Karen Pruitt, death died for her. That's what it's like. What do you mean, John? Death is still on the planet. For something to die, it has no life in it. And it has no, therefore no power over you. Does it have any power over Sister Karen? So did death die for her? It's gone. It's finished. She's complete. When we reach the other side, there'll be a day for each one of us that death will die. I wonder if we could look at beyond the curtain of time, Brother Branham. We'll talk about it just a little bit. What it's like in a theophany body, I would believe. And he said, I raised up on my pillow, as many of you have done it, and put my head upon the headboard of the bed, and put my hands behind me. And I was laying there like this, and I said, I wonder what it'll be like on the other side. I'm already 50, and I haven't done anything yet. If I could only do something to help the Lord, for I know I won't be mortal, half of my time is gone at least, or more than half, if I live to be as old as my people. And I looked around, and, and he says, and we've heard this quote so many times, but he says, I don't want you to miss this. It has changed me. I can't be the same Brother Branham that I was. And I looked, and I heard something kept saying, you're just starting. Press the battle. Just keep pressing. And I shook my head a minute and I thought, well, I'm probably just thinking this. You know, a person can get some imaginations. And I said, I probably just imagined that. It said, press the battle. Keep going. Why? Because there's something there. Why would we keep pressing? Because there's something. I said, maybe I said it. And I put my lips within my teeth and put my hand over my mouth. And there it came again. Just keep pressing. If you only knew... What was at the end of the road? And it seemed like I could hear Graham Snelling or somebody that sang a song saying like this. They sing it here. I'm homesick and blue, and I want to see Jesus. I would like to hear those sweet harbor bells chime. It would brighten my path and, and would vanish all fear. The moment all fear is gone. Lord, let me look up past the curtain of time. You've heard it saying at the church, he said, and I heard something say, would you like to see just beyond the curtain of time? And we can say that tonight. Here's a look. 
Here's a look beyond the curtain of time. I said it would help me so much. And I looked in just a moment. One breath, I had come into the, a little place that slanted. I looked back, and there I was laying on the bed. And I said, this is a strange thing. And now I would not want you to repeat this. This is before my church, and we're a part of his church. Or my sheep that I'm pastoring, whether it was I was in the body or out, whether it was a translation, it wasn't like any vision I'd ever had. I could look there and I could look here. And when I hit that little place, I never seen so many people come running and screaming. Heaven is alive. Heaven's got life in it. There's things that we'll do. There's things that we'll see. Oh, our precious brother, they came running and screaming. And I looked at young women, maybe in their early 20s, 18 to 20, they were throwing their arms around me and screaming, our precious brother, here come young men in the brilliance of young manhood. And their eyes glistening and looking like the stars on a darkened night. Their teeth as white as pearl and they were screaming and grabbing me and screaming, oh, our precious brother. In perfect bodies. With perfect thoughts with nothing, nothing to hold them back. And I stopped and I looked and I was young and I looked back at my old body laying there with my hands behind my head and I said, I don't understand this. And these young women throwing their arms around me and I realized this is a mixed audience and I say this with the sweetness and the mellowness of the spirit. Men could not put your arm around a woman without a human sensation in a body that's dying. You can't do that in a body that's dying. There was, but it wasn't there. It was gone. And then he says a phrase that to me describes eternity. I've, I've thought about eternity. When I think about eternity, I get scared. I think it'll keep going and going and going, and I don't understand it. Think, I don't know if it's ever done that to you. It just makes you want to stop. This is just me, maybe my own flesh. But Brother Branham says something here that's the only way that's just come alive to me. He says, there was no yesterday and there's no tomorrow. So it's not, it keeps going, but you are. The great I am is. So you are. There was no yesterday and there's no tomorrow. They don't, they didn't get tired. I never seen such pretty women all my life. They had their hair way down to their waist, long skirts to their feet, and they were just hugging me. It wasn't, and he goes on, I haven't got the words to say. Brother Branham described it. He said, he showed, told us what he saw, and he told us what he heard, all about it. He could remember it really well, and he could recall it, but there's one thing he couldn't do. He couldn't tell you how it felt. He said, perfection, it doesn't touch it. Supreme, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come, it just doesn't. There's no vocabulary for how it felt, how it will be to feel it, to be there, to know that your freedom is now and that there's nothing left. I looked this way and I looked out and they were coming by the thousands and I said, I don't understand this. And here come hope and, and we'd go on. I'd look around and I thought, what is this? And I looked real good. I can't understand this. And he said, hope seemed to be a guest of honor. Our loved ones will be there. And then he said, this is what a voice behind him said, this is what you preached was the Holy Ghost. Alive. In a mortal body. Not just mortal, sorry. In an immortal body. 
This is what you preached was the Holy Ghost. This is perfect love. How can we describe what it'll feel like? I'll, I'll take it, and I shouldn't take a stab at it. Brother Branham couldn't. I'll just say it this way. Love, the whole way through. In a realm where it's all God, which God is love. This is perfect love, and nothing can enter here without it. Where do we bring our perfect love from? It has to be here then. Because we can't get there without it. So as much as it's there, and it's all there, and that's all that it is, it's here. And it's going to be for us. And it is for us. And we live it. I am more determined than ever in my life, he says, that it takes perfect love to enter there. There was no jealousy. There was no tiredness. There was no death. Sickness could never in there. Mortality could never make you old. They could not cry. It was one joy. Oh, my precious brother. And they took me up and set me up on a great big high place. And I thought, I'm not dreaming. I'm looking back at my body there on the bed. And they set me up and I said, I shouldn't sit here. And there came women and men from both sides, just in the bloom of youth, screaming. And one woman was standing there and she screamed, Oh, my precious brother, we're so happy to see you here. Who was she? She was a Miriam. She would have been a Miriam. I don't understand this. That voice said, you know, that, that woman there, that ones that you, that you led to the Lord, some of them women, that woman that you think was so beautiful, she was over 90 years old when she came. What would it feel like for her to stumble into a meeting over 90 years old to see the message, maybe not to pass on there on that long after, and to dance like Miriam danced, but in a perfect body. Oh, my precious brother. I'm free. I made it. I wouldn't have made it. But you came. And they screamed all at once. If you hadn't have went, we wouldn't be here. I looked around and I thought, well, I don't get it. Oh, where is Jesus? I want to see him so bad. And they said, well, he's just a little higher, right up that way. Someday he'll come to you. You were sent for a leader and God will come. And when he does, he'll judge you according to what you taught. First, whether to go in or not. Will Paul be judged? We know the quote. Will Peter be judged? I'm so happy I've taught, preached every word that Paul preached. And we're resting on that. God is looking for a dwelling place in us now. We know that. And God is looking for peace now in us and to live in us. But what will it be like? Because God isn't also perfectly satisfied with us here and him there. He's not satisfied with that. How could he be? There's, this dif- there's a distance. There's a separation. There's mortality. And there's a law of death in between us. There's a door of death. It's just a door. And it's just a chariot we ride. But there's something in between us. Right now, death reigns. But God is looking towards a day two. God's excited for a day two. When he'll be able to come and say, come. We'll, we'll pull that little string of eternity up. And all the things that you fought, I fought them too in the flesh when I was the son of man, he would say. I fought them and I understood what it was. I know what it's like, he says to us. I know what it feels like. And now I want you to know what it feels like. To be an express part of me, but now to be with me. Now to live with me. 
There's one other person in the picture that I, I hate, and that's the devil. Amen. And I, 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 in creation, the serpent deceived Eve. And it was cursed to be a snake. And I've had a question. Or I've, I've, uh, here's a question. What will, what will the serpent be on the other side? And I'm not going to go far and make it a doctrine, but there's a scripture that I want to point out. What will it be that the serpent, if the creation is groaning to be restored, will there be a serpent there? The reminder of the serpent. I wonder if we could look at Isaiah 65 as he looks at the other side. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's things that I don't understand the difference with the millennium and the new home and, and where this fits. But there's a scripture that I just love. And I don't know exactly what it means, but I know what it means is bad news for the devil. That's all I know what it means. So don't make it any doctrine beyond what, just what the scripture says. We know this scripture, and they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. We know that the serpent was cursed for something. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall be your meat. That was the curse, right? And dust shall be your meat. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble. They are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer them. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. I want to be there. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw of the bullock, and dust. Dust shall be the serpent's meat. What's his position, wherever that is, however that works? The only representation left of him. Because he's dead. Death is dead. He's dying in some eternal, forever place. And dust is his meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Boo devil. And welcome to, I think of that message, Brother, Brother Ron preached, good morning to the bride. Good morning. Let's have a couple other thoughts. When we get to the other side, we have a purpose on this earth. We're called to a purpose on this earth. We have a part in the body. We have a place that we're called to fulfill. Whether we might play a song, or whether we might be a prayer warrior, or whether we might encourage people, there's something that we're called to do. And there's a purpose. And God's purpose is, is something that can never be destroyed. And no one could take your place. And God called you to do something. He'll put you on earth in that little time space. And you will fulfill it. Because God said it. We look for our purpose in life. It's something that we wonder about and we think about. And we say, How, what am I supposed to do? Why am I here? Why am I called? Why am I alive? Why am I called to be the bride? What am I supposed to do? And we move and we, what we do is we catch up to God's purpose and we begin to see it. We begin to tap into what his purpose is for us and we begin to step into it and live it. 
But what will it be like on the other side? What will we do? I don't know, but there's a quote that I found. Brother Branham says in Future Home, see, you were made for an eternal purpose. That's beyond time-space. That's beyond this earth that we're living in. It's not that this is the, this is the, we're coming to the beginning of everything. This life, the Bible will say we won't even remember it. The former things will be passed away. There'll be all tears, all death. Everything will be passed away. The, The former things won't be brought into remembrance. Brother Branham says, you were made for an eternal purpose because you were the manifestation of an attribute that was in God that thought of you and expressed you and were expressed on earth and we were beautiful on earth and we're made for something on earth and then we're called up to heaven and death is gone and everything is gone and the purpose does not end there. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't end there. There's a life to live. We know the scripture that talks about building and inhabiting and and different things. But beyond what you'll you'll specifically, your purpose will be, there's something to it. And he made an earth out of it and and thought, thought of you and expressed you. And he made an earth to take you out of and to make you a human being. And Brother Branham summarizes, and sin came along and perverted his way. You came anyhow. But you was lost with the world, so he come and redeemed you, the expressed attribute, and redeems this earth by the same way. Then his purpose rolls on. Oh, that does me so much good just to think of what lies ahead. Brother Brandon would say, they'll build houses and another won't inhabit. They'll plant vineyards and another won't eat thereof. See, one man plants a vineyard, his son takes it. And then his son takes it and his. But not in this case. On the other side, he'll plant it and stay there. That's right, we'll be there forever. They shall build houses, they shall inhabit them. And another message, they shall plant vineyards, they'll eat the fruit thereof. They shall not plant in another inherit. They shall plant their own and stay with it. When this mortal takes on immortality, if his death is swallowed up in victory, then we will see him as he is and have a body like his own glorious body. Oh, what a time to come. What will it be like? What will it be like to see your your loved one? I've had friends that were young like me that went on, that were, I remember being... 16, 17, and they were 18, and they, they went on. I can think of a couple of people that I look and I think about and know that those are the ones that I'll see. And there might be more to come before we get there. But that knock on the door that will say, or you'll be in your house, and, and there they'll be. What will that feel like? Why do we worry about anything? Why do we have the anxiety we have? Let it go. There's a land that we're called to. There's a land where death will die. There's a land where all of the things that we fight with will die. But let's not just have a bad attitude towards the body now and say, well, it's my dissatisfaction. It is dissatisfying. But let's let it go. Let's live from the soul. Let's live from the inside out and let all of the other things go. There will come a day. There will come a day when we'll see that person come across or, or we'll, we'll come to that service. Maybe we'll go down the road 
and an accident or something will come, but it won't hurt us a second. But there will be that doorway of death, but there will also be a people take a rapture. There will also come a day and that people will take a rapture. Death will die. Everything will be gone. There'll be no worry, no fear, all anxiety. I, I keep saying that. That's what I fight sometimes. All anxiety, all the nerves, all the fear, all the, the wondering, all the, the complexes. What a day that'll be. There'll be nothing like it, and there'll be nothing worth missing it. There'll be nothing worth missing it. We try to balance our life sometimes of our eternal priorities and our earthly enjoyment. There's no balance to that. It doesn't work. It doesn't cross over. Our earthly enjoyment is in Christ still. If we put him first, there's room for that. But not as a balance. We look to him and him alone. All of the other things are the things that will hold us back when it's time to go. I have not done it justice like I wanted to. But if the musicians could come. There's one more quote I can think of. Heavens and earth have met. God and man is reconciled. A restored Eden has begun. All the curse is gone. Just like all the curse of sin is gone when the Holy Ghost accepts you. See, you don't accept it. It accepts you. Amen. See, because it's God's attribute. See, if the Holy Ghost means God's spirit and it's the attribute, the thought of God has accepted you because you were ordained for that purpose. Yet you was born in sin, but God had the attribute. And here you express yourself on earth. And he comes down and gets you. See, you're back here. Here is where you belong. Sin has lost its power. That's right. The desire of sin has gone from your heart when the Holy Ghost comes in. You're a restored person. And when the earth is restored, by the same thing, there can be no more cursing, no more storms, no more winds, no more typhoons. You are reconciled. Man and God has met. The new earth will put on its Eden beauty again. The new earth will spread forth after baptism of fire. What a day that will be. Let's all stand. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus a day and there is coming coming a day when no harm 
Yeah. 